Well, if you have your Bibles, I um, would love for you to take them and uh, turn with me to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, where we are uh, in the book, in the gospel of Matthew, which is one of the, the stories of Jesus, of the four kind of primary gospel stories in the scriptures. Matthew is, is one of them. And we're in this part of of Matthew's gospel, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a really, really key part of Matthew's gospel. Um, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And so, um, you know, it's the best sermon of all time. Uh, nobody is ever going to preach a better sermon than the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, nobody's ever going to teach better than Jesus, the best teacher, the best preacher of all time. Jesus, this one who came into our world to to save us from our sin, uh, this, this Savior who desires all people to have a relationship with our Creator God through, through Him, through Jesus. And if, if Jesus is who He says He is, and who His disciples claimed who He was, then it makes perfect sense for, for you and me to learn from Jesus to follow him, to obey him, and, and to make him Lord of our lives. Not just to say, like to pay lip service that we know him or believe in him, but that we truly um, follow him with all of our lives. And that's a really, really uh, big task, right? Um, now, if this, is, if this is news to you, like if, if talk about Jesus and talk about a relationship with God is, is news to you, you're, you're here, you're online, you're exploring questions of faith, just a really, really quick brief overview from the Christmas season to where we are now. Jesus uh, was born into a small town to a young virgin woman named Mary who was married to Joseph through a whole series of miracles. God fulfills the prophecies of old where he said that there would be a Messiah coming, that God himself would save the world through this Messiah from their sin, and he would show them a better way to live. He would show them how to truly have a relationship with the God who created them and with other people. <coughs> and so Jesus uh, is born. He enters our world. <coughs> he lives in his hometown of, of Galilee, this region of, of, uh, of Israel. And when he was 30, he began his ministry by proclaiming a message of good news. And the message was that all people could have a relationship with God and that God's ways are different than the ways of the world. So last Sunday, Pastor Robin um, started this Sermon on the Mount by looking at the Beatitudes, these, these statements, these qualities, which were very, very different than what the world had to offer. And Jesus, in his perfect self, models this good news as he goes about teaching this message to everyone. And he's teaching it to to not only those who you would expect to kind of be at the, you know, at, at, at the front of the line and in the crowd, but he's preaching it to those who are deemed the most unlikely to have a relationship with God because of who they were, because of what they represented. And so the crowds that kind of gravitated toward Jesus were often quite 
odd characters, unique characters, marginalized, outcast folks who the world kind of shut out and really didn't, didn't always want um, to believe that they could have a right relationship with the God who created them. Folks, we might say, who really didn't have much to offer. You know, they weren't specially gifted. They weren't overly attractive. They were just ordinary people. And Jesus comes along and he declares, there is a place for you in God's kingdom. You could have a relationship with God. Now, the disciples who had gathered around him and the crowds that probably would have been in the backdrop listening we're probably intrigued by this because this was very, very different teaching, but it was also probably quite mystifying because their world was a different one. The values of their world were different than the values that this teacher was sharing um, you know, in front of them. And, and, and the values of the world were not unlike ours, where pride kind of is the driving force, or we're striving to look out for number one, rather than, than others were, were the big thing. Or where revenge and retribution were qualities to be, to be pursued when other people wronged you, or where physical strength and prowess was kind of uh, championed over, over weaker kinds of areas of life. And Jesus, he emphasized that those who follow him that's what, he's, that's what he's teaching with these disciples and these crowds. He says, those who will follow him will live by different values than what the world has to offer. He's saying, uh, in order to have a right relationship with the God of the universe and a right relationship with others, you're going to have to actually embrace these things that I'm sharing with you, and they're going to impact what you believe and how you live. And then he even goes further, and he says, you're going to be noticed because of these things? It's going to be so different that you're going to be noticed because of them? You're going to be set apart because of them? So, you know, you can, you can embrace the values of the world and, and the things that, that the world kind of, you know, values. They can be a part of your life, but you're not going to be set apart because of them. If you follow me, you're going to be set apart because of these things. You're going to have an impact in the world because of it. And he paints these two very vivid pictures to his disciples to drive this home, which would have probably made really, really good sense to them. So this is where we're going to pick it up today in Matthew 5, verse 13 and 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. So he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching these people who want to follow him. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, in a culture where salt was was part of everyday life. It was currency, or a form of currency. It was a means to preserve food. It was a fertilizer in certain types of soil. 
lit lamps were really, really critical in one-bedroom Jewish homes, critical for for seeing and functioning at night. It's kind of hard to miss the significance of Jesus' words. He's saying, listen, folks, if you want to know what following me is like, if you want to know what living in the kingdom of God is like, follow me, but know that your life is going to look very, very different from all those around you who share different values, who kind of live by the values of the world. Jesus is saying, it's not about, it's not about you believing in me or saying that you believe in me and then interpreting my words however way you want and live however way you want. It's about living according to the values of our God whom I perfectly represent. And as you live out this very different life I'm teaching you about, its value is going to be keenly evidenced all around you. Your life is going to make a difference. So think about, think about the comments that Phil Pudlis shared last Sunday about those who were recipients of the Women's Winter Wonderfest. The recipients, if you remember some of the words, uh, the recipients were humbled, they were astounded, they were valued. They felt valued because a group of folks who are trying to follow Jesus, albeit imperfectly, demonstrated that those who are on the margins are downtown women neighbors and those who, who may not matter to many have very little value to the, to the world but they matter to Jesus, and therefore, they need to matter to us. Think about that. Salt and light. Making a difference because the values of God's kingdom over the values of the world are being lived out. Think about the dozens of new immigrants who've been served by many of you. Dozens. Some have been fleeing countries where faith in Jesus is a no-go zone. Some have left everything behind because their homeland leadership cares more about political power and land than about those who live in the land. As you extend your hearts and your lives and your resources to the foreigner and to the outcast, you are salt and light. You are living out the values of the kingdom. You are making a difference in a world that desperately needs it. But why, why do you do this? Why why do we do this? Because our hearts have been changed and we've embraced the words of Jesus who invites us to follow him and be his disciple, and we are trying to live from the heart. The things that really matter. We've responded to a message of repentance, of turning from self-reliance, from power, from greed, from selfishness, from envy, values that are not of God's kingdom or sin, 
We're trying to turn from those, and we're trying to turn towards God by reorienting our lives on Jesus and following him as our Savior. And that's what God does to every single person who surrenders their life to him, and they become salt and light. Which raises a question for us. As you think about this, as you think about your own life, in what ways am I salt and light? Jesus said, you are salt and light. You will make a difference. You will have impact as you follow me. In what ways am I salt and light? And I think the disciples of Jesus would have been a little shocked to hear Jesus begin his teaching this way because their understanding, remember, was a little bit different. Um, They understood that in order to live in a right relationship with God and with other people, they needed to follow a long list of rules. Long list of rules. And as long as they were living in accordance to the long list of rules, the letter of the law, as long as they were doing that, they thought they were doing okay. So here's a, here's a fun fact. Maybe you knew this. Maybe it's brand new to you. So the religious leaders of the day, so they would have been the Pharisees. They would have been uh, lay people who were really, really unbelievable Old Testament scholars. Right? And so these religious leaders calculated that the law, or we would say the Old Testament or the First Testament, um, and then we would even boil it down even more to the, to the Ten Commandments, they believed that, that those Ten Commandments were best understood if you took those Ten Commandments and then you actually expanded and extrapolated them, and they, guess what? They started making all kinds of of rules and laws and prohibitions until they got to 613. 613 commandments and prohibitions. Imagine, 613, you memorize all these rules, you do exactly what they say, and you're good to go. You will know how to have a right relationship with God and with other people if you obey every single one of these 613. You know, on Friday, uh, before I I came home from the office, uh, Leanne had asked me if she had texted me and she'd said, can you pick up some buns from the grocery store? We're going to have soup and buns tonight. Can you pick up some buns? Half an hour before I left the office. I said, sure, I'll pick up the buns. And I proceeded to leave the office, and I proceeded to drive right home. I couldn't even remember one thing, picking up buns for my lovely wife who just asked me to do something very, very simple. One thing. Couldn't remember it. 613? Right. Yeah? Not going to happen. And the the master Pharisees, the guys who really knew their stuff, and they held those laws high, and they tried to ensure that the law, as they interpreted it, and as they misinterpreted it, because that was a lot, was kept. And they, they took those laws very literally, and they came after you if you were missing something in that rule book. So sure, one might obey 
the law literally, but if nothing really had changed from within, the place where your values and your priorities really lie, nothing's changed. See, if your heart hasn't changed, it really doesn't matter what one does on the outside. It's all just a big show and sham. The salt becomes worthless, and the light actually isn't really light. How, how many of us here, you know, if you're so honest, how many of us here have ever thought that being a Christian or having a right relationship with God was about following a bunch of rules? Who's, who's, who's honest enough to raise their hand about that? Yeah. There have been times in my life when that has been the case. Maybe sometimes it's our, our background or, you know, or origins, maybe a church that we, you know, grew up in. Any first century um, Jew uh, and law-abiding Jewish person, Jewish person, (laughs) Jewish person in Jesus' day would have believed that living in a right relationship with God and with others consisted of conforming to this long list of 613 rules. And Jesus, he comes along, and he appears to teach something quite radical, quite different, where he says that those who look most unlikely to even know the law, let alone be obedient to it, and those who are marginalized and those who are outcasts can be in a right relationship with God and with others. Well, that's great news. Like, who doesn't want to have news like that? And he says that you, you will be salt and light because of this. But then suddenly, he actually, he actually seems to make another surprising statement, verse 17 and on, because these, these disciples are probably thinking, like, really, Jesus? Like, this doesn't make any sense. We thought, we thought this, and now you're saying this? And then Jesus says, ah, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So all of a sudden, like, what's he saying? He, it seems like he was saying this, that the law doesn't matter to have a right relationship with, with God and with others. And then all of a sudden he seems, well, wait a second. I didn't come to do away with that. I came to fulfill it. And what he means by that is that he came to fulfill it in the sense that, that in Jesus and through Jesus, he, he is completely the perfect law, the perfect example, the perfect everything that you can possibly imagine. So if you look to Jesus, you will, you will gain an understanding of what it means to be in right relationship with God and with other people. 
You will be living in his kingdom. You will be living out the values of his kingdom. And you will make a difference and be salt and light. So, so what does that look like? Where does one begin? How can one live in the kingdom of God and be salt and light in our world, making a difference? Let's get practical. So Jesus, he starts to share a number of examples about what this looks like. And I, I don't think he probably is saying everything there is to say about everything. I think he pr- probably chose a handful of very, very practical examples that would have been applicable to these disciples and these crowds that were listening. He probably could have shared many, many more. But he chooses a handful of examples in terms of what does this look like to live out the kingdom of God. I'm just going to share two this morning, and I think after we share the two, I think you're going to get the sense as to what it means, and you can kind of take it from there and start to ask yourself the question, what does this mean for me? The first few examples are all about our relationships with other people. So, you want to live out the values of God's kingdom, you want to be salt and light in the world. You're not sure where you're all uh, being effective or having an impact, making a difference in the world. Well, Jesus brings up the sixth commandment. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Notice that Jesus begins all these examples with, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. The law. You've heard that it was said. All those 613, you've heard that it was said. Everyone's heard these words. Don't murder. Don't do it. It's not good. Jesus uses this very straightforward understanding of the word. Murder. Don't take another person's life deliberately. He could have used other words for killing animals, for defending one's home, for accidental killings, but he uses a very specific word that they they understand. Don't take another person's life. And the disciples agreed wholeheartedly. Yes, we know we're not supposed to murder anybody. We've heard the stories about Cain and Abel and, and Moses and the Egyptian. We've heard that. Jesus isn't interested in semantics. And he pushes his disciples to think a little bit more about the things that come from our hearts that damage another person. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You've heard that it was said, the law, but I tell you that anybody who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anybody who says to his brother, Raka, which is kind of a bit of a derogatory word, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, disciples, they knew that, that murder literally takes away another person's life, and that was wrong. And Jesus comes along and says, but, but that's not all. That's not all. There's other things that are actually inside our heart which take away the life of another. No, maybe not their literal life, But therein lies a problem for the disciples and for you and for me. We want to check off a box that we either did something or we didn't do something. We don't want to see the heart of the matter, which is what Jesus is after. So you may not have literally taken 
the life of another person, great. But every time you despise another person, every time you call another person a bad name, every time you treat someone with contempt, you take away their God-given value and worth. Jesus is saying that life in the kingdom of God, being salt and light, goes far beyond knowing the letter of the law, however many laws you choose to have. It goes far beyond to understanding the heart behind what God requires as a disciple of Jesus. Do you have thoughts and feelings toward someone with whom you are in conflict with? You're taking away their their God-given value and worth? Do, Do you despise another person? Are you in conflict with another? Get behind the heart. Jesus is clear about what living in the kingdom of God is like. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. So you, you, you go, whoa, I, I know of somebody who actually has something against me. And we're, we're, we've been in conflict. Jesus says, leave the gift, go, be reconciled to your brother, then come off your gift, settle matters quickly. That's living in the kingdom of God. That's having a right relationship with God and with other people. Wow, can you imagine the the implications for your life, for my life, for our church family? Right relationships. So unresolved hurt, conflict, anger, bitterness, pain in one part of the body impacts the whole. What kind of salt and light are we? Let's not pretend to live out the kingdom of God by proudly claiming we've never killed somebody while all the while harboring a grudge against someone or emptying their life of value by saying things about them and not dealing with it. You see, our ability to be salt and light and make a difference is dependent on how we deal with other relationships in our life. It's a matter of the heart. That's just one example. How about adultery? Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, do do not commit commit adultery. Disciples are going, oh yeah, Jesus, we've heard that. We shouldn't have sexual relationships with one who is not our wife. That is the literal interpretation that they would have known. And Jesus is probably thinking, I know you've heard that. But do you really understand the heart behind it? And are you willing to live it out? And then he goes on. I tell you that anyone, you've heard it said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Take radical measures to, to do what needs to be done, Jesus said. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Yes, Jesus says, it is great that you've not committed the physical act of adultery. But if in your heart, at the core of your being, you are fed and filled with impurity from lustful thoughts, from poor choices, from X-rated movies, or friends, or music, or pornography, or prostitution, there is no difference than the act itself. So don't pretend you're living in a right relationship with God and with others. Don't pretend that you're living in God's kingdom If your heart has not changed, 
It's just a show and sham. It's a matter of the heart. See, when our hearts have been changed from within, it is our love for God and our love for our neighbor which motivates us to live the way God truly wants us to live. Life in the kingdom of God. And if you think that's a big task, it is. Because right at the end of this passage, I just gave you two examples, but I think you're getting the sense of what, what you need to do and how you need to kind of look at the text to ask yourself, am I living in the kingdom of God? Am I being salt and light? Or am I just living a show? At the very end of this, this passage in chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa! That's not just a big task. It's impossible. But who's our example? Jesus. The ultimate example of God's love for the world, for all people, even when they do us wrong, Jesus is the best example. Jesus is the best example when, when temptations draw us away and, and he's inviting us to purity. He's the perfect example of truth-telling and loving our enemies and reconciling relationships. He's the best of everything. And most important, he is the perfect sacrifice. So when he died for your sin and mine, nothing more needed to be done in order for you to have a relationship with God. You can do so through Jesus. You don't need 613 rules or however many you want to make. What you need to do is to pursue Jesus, to receive him as your Savior, to love him, to obey him, and then you will be on the right track. And while it seems like an impossible task to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, the language is perfect or future tense. That's, it's, it's, it's language of hope. It's language of promise. Someday, we are going to be presented to God, our perfect Heavenly Father. As we follow Jesus and we walk with Him and obey Him, our example who reflects our Heavenly Father, we can look forward to that day when, when everything is going to be perfect, when our heart, when our life will reflect everything that our Heavenly Father is. So continue to journey with Jesus on the way. Trust Him. Learn to obey him more and more. Build your life on him and watch what he will do as he transforms you day by day by day. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we just invite you to work within each of our hearts to continue to invite us into relationship with you, a deeper relationship with you, one that um, sees you for who you are and wants to press further and further into uh, this relationship with you, uh, this perfect example of what it means to be in right relationship with the God who has created us and loves us and in right relationship with those around us. Lord, would you... Um, would you apply this word to each heart accordingly?
Would you help us to see what you see and then to obey what you ask of us? And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.